0: Welcome to The Found Cause. We have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the behind the machine, and to my right is...
1: Sebastian, the bookkeeper.
0: And across the way, virtually, is...
2: Theodore, under
1: the PC.
0: you notice we're very equal here. We're all on equal footing. It's not one giant screen of me and Sebastian, and then one tiny screen of Theodore... Now that we do these virtual meetings, I think we did that like several times. We had a tiny Theodore cam um, because the camera quality here is better than yours, but we've blown each other up to be big because we believe in equality. And that's what this episode is about, how we should all become communists and give our money to the state. Um, Is that right, Theodore?
2: Indeed it is not. Uh, You know, so you'll notice,
0: I'll just just intro us, the money episode, I could have, Sworn that we did an episode on money prior. We've talked about money in this podcast before, but um, not only have I encountered some money podcasts recently that I thought were illuminating, but I also did something for my Bible study that was about money recently. And Theodore, a while ago, right before he got married, um, congratulations, by the way. I think we already said that in an episode. Congratulations on getting married. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Right before... Um, he was getting married, he was suddenly inundated with all the very expensive things that people can spend their money on for a wedding. And just in general, inundated with like people buying really expensive cars and otherwise. And he came to me and asked if it was a sin to buy such expensive things when there were very good inexpensive items, for example, buying a million dollar car when there are great $40,000 cars, or 30,000 or 20,000 or whatever. Um, And I said, good question. I don't think so but let's talk about that so we have done a project as per usual the man behind the machine is going to sit back behind his machine for the most part and theodore has gathered a bunch of positive verses about money and negative verses about money. And so has Sebastian. So the way we're going to organize this episode is we are talking about personal wealth and when it's okay to spend money, when it's not okay to spend money, what God talks about wealth in the Bible, all while sticking to scripture. We don't want to go way too far off scripture and start talking about Dave Ramsey or Tony Robbins or any of that. (laughs) Um, We're going to talk about the negative scripture about wealth to keep us balanced. But I think the most surprising thing about this episode is the positive things we'll say about wealth. And then we're going to try to mix it all together in the end and say, how should Christians view wealth, both your own personal pursuit of wealth and also others and taxes and whatever else. So um, we're going to start with the most well-known things about Christianity, which, which has many lines against wealth. um, Just so that, you know, we are not ignoring scripture and we're taking this all into consideration when we talk about the positive things of wealth. So first things first, men, what's the first verses that you think of when you think of warnings that scripture has against wealth
1: i have one shoot first timothy six for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil
0: that's a classic
1: I hear it all the time
0: and what does it mean
1: that it's pretty straightforward but what does it mean? yes yes many many people misread it and they say that money is the root of all evil of every single one
0: that's what the KJV says so I think it's also just like American tradition
1: yes but with other translations and also my personal interpretation from the Greek it seems to suggest that it is the, it can go in many directions so all evil doesn't just come from money because you know there's also lust and mm-hmm. hatred um, of your fellow man so it isn't literally the root of all evil the pursuit of wealth it leads in many directions that's what it means that if you pursue wealth you are more likely to be corrupt if you're a politician you're more likely to scheme how to uh, grab money from like like what Jesus always criticizes the the tax collectors from widows from mm-hmm. people that are defenseless that have no lawyers you can easily get away with stealing money so yes different kinds of evil come from the love of money
0: right Pretty straightforward. Mm Mm-hmm. Agreed. Theodore, you have any warnings against wealth?
2: Sure. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 20. Uh, And Jesus is speaking. Well, and he, being Jesus, told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? then he said this is what i will do i will tear down my barns and build larger ones and there i will store all my grain and my goods and i will say to my soul soul you have so many goods laid up for many years to come take your ease eat drink and be merry but god said to him you fool this very night your soul is required of you and now who will own what you have prepared
0: and he dies <laughs> <Every> <laughs> end of the parable. And that's a hard one, um, because saving in and of itself, we all inherently know you can't live life without saving. So the intrinsic problem with the man in that parable isn't that he saves, it's that he is having a blessing from God in abundant land, and instead of reacting with thankfulness to God, instead of reacting with generosity, instead of reacting with any sort of happiness instead his happiness comes from the security that the wealth is giving him and so he builds storage for his wealth in order to live easy later which again saving we would say isn't bad you don't want to take a parable and run with it too far um, but we would say the problem with this man is that he did not thank god and he um, didn't use the wealth God gave him at all. He intended to put his security in that. And, and God shows in the parable that your, your life was required to this very night, i.e. your wealth didn't save you. And, and so he died and didn't get the benefit from his wealth. So the warning there is not to put your security in wealth. Um, and then from Sebastian's scripture, he shared not to pursue wealth alone.
2: And I suppose I could mention with that, cause you kind of alluded to it. Um, Two chapters later Luke 14 verses 27 to 28 um, mentions for which one of you when he wants to build a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. So again saving and having some money and resources in storage can be good. Um, it's just that, that greed of it and hiding it away and that stuff that you mentioned.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What's another one Sebastian? A love from Proverbs, actually. Um, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold.
0: I.e., there are things better than wealth. Some say, um, they're usually nihilists, and I think we all know that they're wrong, but some say that mo- because money buys everything, money is is happiness, because you can buy fame, you can buy pleasure, you can buy health, you can buy everything with money and we all know that to be not true because that's like the bad guy in every dumb disney movie but um here it is said in proverbs that that fame and honor are better than wealth
1: from also solomon in ecclesiastes 5 he who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income this is also vanity
0: and, and I mean, I'm just going to keep explaining the, like pretty straightforward <laughs> proverbs, but uh, if you love wealth for wealth's sake, you won't get any benefit from it because wealth is just that. It's the power to do things. It's not the actual things themselves. So if you were handed for the first proverb, if you were handed like a thousand fame points or a thousand dollar points, it's better to get the fame directly than the wealth um like it's a heavier denser object to get the fame to get the honor and in this way also it says that if you pursue wealth for wealth's sake you aren't gaining anything and we do as as people get distracted by winning um the game of the thing that everybody's pursuing having the most of something that everybody's pursuing and so solomon says it's vanity to chase after just winning and having the most wealth All right, so we got some more negatives. Theodore, do you have any other warning scriptures?
2: Did you want me to bring up Acts now or is that later? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 to 45. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Acts chapter 4, 34 to 35. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds and the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need.
0: Right, so here, and some would say, I think we've thoroughly debunked this in other episodes, you can go to others who aren't us because this really isn't the focus of the episode, but some would say that that is a call to communism. We say it's definitely not, and that it's evident that not everybody was selling everything they owned. Um, but in the spirit of making this a warning passage about wealth, note that as much as we can defend it against communism, which it's not, and to say that you can own property and all the rest, know that it is Christians selling their possessions and giving to fellow Christians as anybody has need. So just in our defense against communism, don't forget the actual, the actual event itself, which was people selling their property and giving to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So it is a good thing to do that. And um, when you have brothers in need, you should take care of them.
2: And 2 Corinthians is where we get the saying, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, But more of the context with that is, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not uh, grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, But then again, uh, this implies not that somebody is giving everything away, but rather they have plenty of resources to um, they've been blessed with enough to be generous enough with it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. They um, sow bountifully, they sow generously, um, and therefore they reap bountifully.
0: Right, and we're kind of doing our own balancing section here. <laughs> um, but it's good, oh, sorry. Because you can't, you can't yeah. really say the verses without balancing them because we'll forget them one, and then two, like you have to explain them. Um, some will take these verses and misuse them. Like the Acts 4 one, like the Acts 2 one, where they'll say, this is really communism and all Christians should sell all their possessions and give to the poor. So not only did they, they misread the context of not everybody selling everything they had, but also they say, don't just give to fellow Christians because that's racist. Got to give it to everyone. Um, that would be the communism call. And then equally, um, the one you just read, Theodore, it's not that... Um, giving everything away is what's good it's that you have to have some sort of wealth to give away in the first place Um, so we're balancing these warnings but they are indeed positive depictions of giving generously and of um, wealth being a dangerous thing if you pursue it or put your security in it so let's not forget these things when we think about wealth
1: and also in many cases many people tend to think that being rich is bad for a christian also from Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So, again, we're balancing these these texts, but at the same time, we're getting the message across that there is danger in pursuing wealth. It is bad for you, as Proverbs says all backwards and forwards, in every every single chapter is always Solomon bashing some rich person and or some greedy person as well. And also we, we see calls that it is good to give away your processions for the sake of the church, for the sake of your fellow brother.
0: Now, I will say, I'm going to go in here with my own, I, I know I said you guys we have the, the pastors, I'm going to come in here with one of my own, only because I know it is often Misconstrued to mean something that I don't believe it means. And if you read the context of the text, I believe it's meaning something else um, on the the warnings of wealth and it being good to give. It is the the actual, it's not a parable, it's an actual example that Jesus sees and, and says to the disciples and those following him, um, where the woman, the old widow, comes to the temple and she gives her two drachmas, her tiny pennies, and puts them in the temple donation box. And Jesus points to this, And what most people believe is that he says, ah, what faith this old lady has given her only two drachmas. But I would say he is actually, he's condemning the Pharisees who said that she should give her last two drachmas and he is actually um saying has misplaced her faith not a, it's not a really denunciation on her it's really a denunciation on those who would trick her but really he's saying she has been deceived by the pharisees who say you need this temple tax which um, wasn't even a tax in the law in the first place you have to kind of know the background for that but that they would be getting the last dimes out of even an old lady so it was really a condemnation just like he has elsewhere of these pharisees um hurting old women widows people easily deceived by taking their last wealth so it's not a uh, blessed be you who give your last two drachmas to the cause of the lord Um, it's actually a curse on those who would require people to give their last two drachmas to the cause of the lord which is really just the coffers of the temple Um, so all that being said i think we should be cautious of teachers who say that we should give to the max because they're granted god can move you to do anything and there are times where god would have you give everything but those are definitely the exception and i think you should wait for an express calling to do that as opposed to doing that as a rule um, because as a rule you are supposed to take care of your own household your own family and one of the ways that god provides for that is wealth Um, but that's i'm getting ahead of myself any other warnings against wealth that you guys have from the scriptures
2: we haven't mentioned Matthew 19, uh, 16 to 26. Um, I could read that, or I could just say, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God.
0: Right. And to give the context, the other classic verse that goes with that is the rich young ruler who comes and, and warrants that, that expression from Jesus. The rich young ruler says, what must I do to have eternal life? And the Lord says, um, Keep Sell them. all your possessions. Okay. First, you tell
1: them: Have you kept all the commandments yeah. Wait, and verses? Should yeah. I
0: just read that? Would it's ten like verses. To? It's what? Do you want to read? Chapter should I 19? just read
2: that? What's that? Would you like to? Oh sure. <laughs> I'll pro- I'll provide the context. Yeah. And someone came to him, Jesus, and said. Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder, you should not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard the statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible.
0: And some would take that parable, it's not a parable, it's an incident, that story, and say, look, you cannot be rich and enter the kingdom of heaven Therefore, you must sell all your possessions to the poor, much like the Acts 2 and Acts 4 verses that we saw where other Christians are selling all their possessions. You must sell all your possessions if you want to have eternal life. And to them, I would say, be careful because while that was indeed the request from Jesus to the man, know that it was to that particular man who clearly had a problem with wealth being his security and wasn't willing to sell and that it additionally jesus does not say it's impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven with wealth because he expressly says with man this is impossible with god nothing is impossible i.e there will be rich people who enter the kingdom of heaven and therefore it's not a requirement Um, The warning there being that if you put your security and wealth and aren't willing to sell when Jesus would ask you to sell, well, then you have a problem with wealth, right? Um, But if you just have money and aren't willing to sell when Joel Olstein says to sell, you probably don't have a problem. Okay, legitimate warning. I Mm -hmm. like it. Any others? surely the astute among you listeners will know that there are other warnings against wealth in proverbs and proverbs and throughout scripture um, there is a whole section in james that is warning people not to favor the rich and, and chastising them for favoring the rich so clearly they did um, and then there's sections in the levitical law that says do not favor the rich just like james says um, equally they say don't favor the poor either uh, in, in Leviticus, because sometimes you take the the wrong switch and you'll say, well, if I'm not going to favor the rich, well, then I'm going to favor the poor, because if it's bad to be rich, ergo, it must be good to be poor. And this is where we'll transition also into defending wealth. So with all the caveats we just gave, with all the things that you should not put your security in wealth, know that God can ask you to sell everything you have, that it's good to take care of your brothers via your own wealth. So when you are rich, giving, that God loves a, a generous giver, and that if you put your security in wealth, um, you'll be cursed in the, the pursuit of money and the love of money or the root of all kinds of evil. All those caveats. We're going to talk about the positive things that God rewards with wealth and what God commands you to do with wealth and how the unbalanced Christian who says that wealth is dirty is actually disobeying God and is sinning in their rejection of wealth. So with all that intro, do you gentlemen have positive things to say about wealth from scripture?
1: I do. I sure do. From Proverbs. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. First, I want to say, take that Baptist. I mean, I'm, I'm a Baptist too, with the wine, wine. Yes, okay. new wine. Okay. Okay. That is, putting that aside now, I thought, I thought Jesus was a communist. How he says... Wealth, you're supposed to have wealth, and then also honor the Lord with that. And then he will bless you with more after putting your first fruits. This doesn't sound very communist, does it?
0: Uh, Well, I guess if the commune gets richer, you get richer. So maybe it's like a big analogy. In any case, yeah, it's clearly not. It's private property that he's being rewarded <laughs> with. Um, indeed. And that's not a formula. But whenever you hear a proverb, you should know that it's a general principle. It's not a formula that God guarantees. We all know the story of Job, where Job is a righteous man gifted with much wealth. So like the proverb says, he, he was generous with his money, and the Lord gave him a bunch of wealth. But then, as we all know the story of Job, uh, the Lord takes it all away um, as a test to Job. And it wasn't because Job was not righteous and it wasn't because wealth was bad, wealth was good, um, but the Lord took it away and Job was perfectly justified in that time when he had the wealth taken away. And so we should not think that just because you're righteous or just because you're generous guarantees that you get wealth because the Lord can do whatever he wants. Um, we are not guaranteed a Ferrari just because we tithe or give a large donation to the church. Um, yes, God does love a cheerful giver, but that does not mean that you can force God to give you more money, which really just means that you, if you're giving, hoping to get more money, you are pursuing wealth, which is not good. As the the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of wealth is the root of all kinds of evil. That's the warning there, is that if you're giving for the sake of wealth, that's evil.
2: Yeah, that's that's gambling, or at best, investing, <laughs> not generosity.
0: Right, exactly. You, nobody says you're generous when you buy stocks, even though you are giving money to the stock owners, um, you're also assuming you'll get a return. And in the same way, if I can go on a tangent, God's law requires that you not charge your brother's interest on loans, probably usury, the charge for using the money. And that's, I think, the exact same principle behind that. And that is, he loves a cheerful giver. So when you loan to your brother, it should be a self-sacrifice. Oh, brother, you need a thousand dollars. Like here's a thousand dollars free of interest. Pay me back when you can. Um, That kind of giving is what God likes. He does not like a, oh, you need $1,000? Let me figure out how I can make some money off of you. Like, I'll give you $1,000 if you give me back $1,003 in, in a year. Um, God does not have you charge interest to brothers. He says you can do that to foreigners, so it's not that charging interest on loans is inherently wrong, but when you're doing it supposedly out of generosity to, to brothers in your nation, um, you should not charge interest. I think the same principle there is that wealth is good, even loaning is good, but um, generosity is not you benefiting from the generosity, even though you might. I mean, you intrinsically benefit from generosity, but if you're expecting to benefit like that, it's wrong.
1: Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Again, there's a there's some um, reason in saying mm-hmm. sense, uh, some sensible point in saving money. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Again, there's nothing sinful about bringing wealth. It's, we're gonna, as we're going to talk about more too, is where the, your heart is at.
0: Yeah, and uh, you'll see again and again and again, and we could pull like a thousand verses <laughs> for you today on how God rewards with wealth. So that should be a direct refutation of the thought process that says that wealth is evil, that wealth disallows you from going to heaven, that those who are wealthy are clearly sinning, that they've gotten their wealth some some ill-gotten way. God says that he will reward the righteous with wealth. Now, again, that's not a guarantee of wealth, but it is to say that there will be righteous Christians who die wealthy. Um, and we need to accept that uh, and not consider wealth dirty. Now, if you got your money in an ill-gotten way, that's evil. And James um, talks about it and Proverbs talks about ill-gotten gains are evil, right? So if you've gotten wealthy because of evil, um, that's evil. And so many people today have gotten wealthy because of evil but there are people who are rewarded for righteous conduct with wealth and it's good any positive verses about wealth uh, theodore
2: um i got a few about wages so even in deuteronomy it says you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy whether he is one of your countrymen or one of the aliens who is in the land in your towns you shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets for he is poor and sets his heart on it so that he will not cry against you to the Lord and it becomes sin to you Um, and then Proverbs do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it Um, do not say to your neighbor go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you Proverbs 12 Uh, The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put put to forced labor. Proverbs 13, a good man... Oh, yeah, sorry. Well, yeah, I'll just go these two. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Proverbs 22, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Um,
0: so that's a lot. Oh, my gosh. Can you unpack all that? Yeah, sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That's all right. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> but starting from Deuteronomy, obviously, we see that wages um, are a good thing and that people should be given what they are due um, in a timely manner without any delay um, or anything like that. And whoever hires someone should have plenty of their own in order that they can pay um, those whom they hire. Um, And also, basically, the wealthy will... um, The diligent will rule, and it also says the rich will rule. So it seems that the diligent will be rich, Mm -hmm. or at least the rich have been diligent presumably um, to become uh, as rich as they are and they will rule but then obviously they are implored to pay rightly the wages of the people who work under them Um, and that kind of sorry i'll go on a slight tangent and go to mark 12 where it says render to caesar the things that are caesar's and to God the things that are gods. Um, ah, There's another verse in 1 Timothy I think that I could go to later, but um, basically rendering to Caesars. So the government obviously needs some money to operate. The government does perform um, basic or should perform basic um, things and protecting rights of the citizens, and obviously they need money to do so. So what is right should be um, whatever quantity of resources, funds, money is right, should be rendered to the government.
0: Right. And and equally, uh, Paul quotes um, the Old Testament law about not muzzling the ox when it's treading the corn and doing its work. You should pay people right. for their works. You pay the government for the work they provide. You pay your workers for the wages they are owed, and you pay um, your pastors the, for the work they do to can I read you? that Ashley? what
2: can I read that Ashley? sure that is an interesting thing in the verse before that first mm-hmm. Timothy 5:17 to 18 the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching for the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the labor uh, and the laborer is worthy of his wages
0: And so I think we can see the principle here that the laborers, the elders, the government are all rewarded with wealth for their work. So to highlight, wealth is good. Those who have the wealth and are diligent to work end up ruling, and they're the ones that end up passing down the wealth, are able to hire all these services, uh, the people to do services. And therefore, the wealth is good for the owner of the wealth, and the wealth is good for the one who owns the wealth. The wealth itself is great. It is a good tool of value, and God loves giving generously to his children, and therefore wealth is good. I mean, I think we should drill it into our heads. Wealth is good, because uh, so many Christians are into the poverty, the pietism that says the wealth is evil. It's not evil, it's actually good, it's a gift. Now, desiring the gift more than you desire God is evil, and that's what all the warning passages are about, that you can't put your security in these gifts of God, they come from God, but it itself is good. And that when you have wealth, remember to pay your employees in time. Don't try to pursue wealth in an unrighteous way, i.e. not paying your employees in time or withholding from the government their, their due or withholding from the elders their due. You should give to God things that are God's uh, in your tithe that pay the elders and help the poor. And there are payments to the poor in God's law, um, yada, yada, yada. But you should give generously when you have wealth, but wealth is good. And when you have wealth
1: and being diligent with it, be sure, you know, the condition of your flocks, give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever. And a crown is not secure for all generations Mm -hmm. on a note. The Lord gave the Lord takes away as Job said in his prayer, it could come, you could become a millionaire. Then the next day you're poor destitute. Your wife leaves you and you're sad and crying and covered in sores and ideally Satan is not chasing you but you know that's you, ne- you, know, you don't know that you never know that so but at the same time if you have wealth you can and should uh, be very attentive with it i would say that's the message of this proverb that you, keeping a budget would be for example a way to be del- to be attentive with your wealth mm-hmm. without obsessing over it because being careless with it is also sinful again you have wealth there's nothing sinful with having wealth. It's just your heart behind it. Likewise, in Matthew, you probably have this memorized too, Michael. In Matthew 17, Jesus doesn't shy away from using money. He asked Peter, and after Jesus in Matthew 17, after Jesus and his disciples survived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does. When Peter came to the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter said. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Okay, that's a pretty cool miracle. I would just say that yeah, just go fish. You'll find a fish and it'll have coins in it. So what the heck? What are the odds of that? Okay. Cool miracle. And also, Jesus doesn't shy away from either paying taxes, as we see here. And he says, You shouldn't have to do it, but you but you do it, but you do it out of a sense of duty for this specific situation. And
0: Well, in that case, it wasn't even a sense of duty. It was just that they didn't stir up trouble. So clearly it's not sin to give into taxes that are not due. So that dude, that temple, the two drachma tax, which we talked about the old lady having to pay it, and she didn't really have to pay it. Clearly Jesus did not believe it was a legitimate tax because he says... This isn't... It's being levied on me? You mean the owner of the temple? Why would you be it on me? But he says, you know, we'll do it to not cause offense. Um, so in the same way, I would hold to and we've said in other episodes that the government is currently asking for way more than their services. In fact, they do anti-services to us. So when they ask for more than 10%, they're being way over tyrannical and they're not owed it. So we're not owed to give them the amount of money they're asking for. However... Just like the scripture says, when you go and build a tower, count the cost so that you don't look like a fool and you can't complete the tower. So if we were really going to withhold taxes from the government now um, and only pay them their due, which would be ten percent. Um, biblically, from from First Samuel, I think, or Second Samuel, one of the verses where it says the the tyrannical overreach of the government will be n- no more than ten percent. Um, we should be careful when we do that because we don't want to cause offense that we can't handle, and if we Mess with the 87,000 new IRS agents, we might end up with uh, no homes. I was just (laughs) going to count that battle.
2: Can I show these? Sure, yeah. So I stumbled across this on Facebook. If. Uh,
0: Laughing my butt off. They just used your taxes to increase your taxes. They could hire 87,000 IRS agents to rifle further through your taxes in case you owe more taxes. (laughs) Uh, That's to me. Yep. (laughs) case you're not familiar the inflation reduction act was passed by our congress which does not reduce inflation doesn't even plan to i guess they just named that because it sounds nice um yeah but it actually like strengthened the irs um, and put up more job openings for irs agents which we would say they already levy an unjust tax that is unjust now again you want to fight your battles i personally pay all my taxes um for the record but (laughs) uh Know that on the flip side, as much as I'm saying that they're not owed that much, um, like you said, Theodore, and like the Bible says, they are owed something. Like we do want to pay their labor, his wages. So it's not a tax-free society we're asking for, just, just taxes. So we've talked about negative warnings against wealth, and we've talked about the positives of wealth. How God rewards with wealth, and how wealth is a good thing. And throughout the whole thing, we've pretty much been measuring, and and. and quantifying when you don't, you know, for all the warnings against wealth, what they really mean and for all the positive of wealth, how you should handle the wealth. Um, let's put it all a big on a big capstone. How should we handle wealth then with both the warnings and the, the blessing versus of wealth? How should a Christian handle wealth? And I'll, I'll start with this. Is it a sin for a Christian to save for retirement? Were you inspired by Mike Winger? I'm inspired by many. Um, actually, I'm inspired <laughs> by the parable. That, said, you know, that parable we just heard, where the rich man um, sees his plentiful stuff, he builds these barns, he wants to live off the, the produce of his wealth, and then the Lord punishes him. Um, does that mean, similarly, retirement? You, you're making money, you're saving it up in your big barns, mm-hmm. and then you then you live off in the end. Is that sin? Theodore Sebastian, you have input?
1: I vote
2: if no. that prevents you from... <laughs> Um, I don't know. I'll just say, if that prevents you from being generous or obeying God's commands or God's, or your convictions, then that's sinful. Because just like the rich guy, he said, oh, I'm just going to make an even bigger barn, Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. And obviously, that's he's completely ignoring his neighbor the command to love your neighbor um and
0: yeah uh-huh agreed yeah, i yeah. totally agree with that
1: yes so well, yes what all what you've said is absolutely correct that is not still tackling the issue because what happens when you what this what that parable was the story was getting at is that the man misused wealth so just because he misused the wealth as i mean wealth is bad i would say no so likewise saving is not a bad thing on its own, but it can be misused. So I would say the idea of you saving for retirement is not sinful. The question is can you be sinful while you're saving? Oh, yes, absolutely. If you're not careful, you can start indulging and withholding things from your church, your community, uh, your taxes. I also pay my taxes, for the record. <laughs> <IRS>. <laughs> I, his name. Uh, I, I also pay my taxes. Uh, okay, yes. <laughs>
2: They gave me a refund because they thought I paid too much. much.
0: Yeah, same thing.
1: We're such good citizens. Uh We pay more than what we what we owe. Anyway, saving is good. I would say it is responsible because you are keeping track of your finances. You don't want to be poor and destitute and living on the street if you're not careful because you're just like not even caring about or thinking about the future. So, um, in that sense, I would actually hold that saving is being proactive, responsible, and definitely not putting the Lord to the test because some might say, oh, God will take care of me when I'm old. Well, this is very true. God has ordained your life from the day you were born. That is putting the Lord to the test by saying, oh, yes, God will make food up here on my table every day. You don't know that. So you have to be wise in how you can prepare to you know, be able to provide for your family, fa- especially if you have a family. You have to take care of them and it's, it's your duty. And then also... It is wise knowing how this world is fallen, that an emergency could come up, an accident could come up. So it is wise to prepare for that without being sinful about it.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going go to go to a text we haven't talked about yet and just to justify some of your position there, Sebastian. Paul says, I think it's Paul. I'm almost sure it's Paul. He says that it's um, you're worse than an unbeliever if you do not take care of your own family. And so for those who don't save, who aren't diligent and then end up not being able to take care of your own family, you are worse than the unbeliever who does so don't think that it's a a secondary issue or something that's not important for Christians to worry about or for non diligent Christians for poor Christians who haven't made good decisions that it's actually righteous of them because they've been giving or that it doesn't really matter because wealth is evil it is actually evil when men lead their families into destitution because of their own foolishness or they let their wives spend too much or they make uh, foolish decisions or they don't work at jobs that make enough money that is actually an evil decision worse than being an unbeliever to your family so I want to give that staunch warning of those who hate wealth to say, you are not only anti-biblical, but you are also anti-your family. You are worse than an unbeliever when you leave your family destitute. So I want to give a very stern warning that the way you should pursue wealth is with the pursuit of caring for others. So as much as the Bible warns about saving up for retirement in a way that is self-centered, like the man in the parable was, if you don't save up enough that you can feed your family, you are being wicked and lazy. And the Proverbs have 20 billion Proverbs on the uh, how laziness leaves you, poor. And so, yes, not everybody that is poor is poor because they have been lazy. So that's not what the Proverbs mean. It's not what any of this means. We're not saying that everybody that is poor deserves it, but there are those who are poor that deserve it. And so you as a Christian, if you are poor, you need to take a look at yourself seriously and decide, is it a me problem or is it a calling problem? Has God called me to this particular field that ends up not making a lot of money or am I sinning? in a field that doesn't take care of my family properly. For example, if a husband is in some artsy career or even a ministry career where he is making too little to feed his family, he is sinning. And for all those so-called ministers who think they're called to missionary work or whatever else, and they're actually impoverishing their family and their family can't eat to so their family is terribly suffering. I don't just mean regular suffering and they can't get manicures or they can't get Netflix or whatever else, but they're actually seriously suffering um, for, for just lack of money. That missionary seriously needs, needs to rethink his missionary field. I know that's a very unpopular thing to say amongst Christians because we value missionary work. Amen, we should. But one, I think a lot of people think they're called to missionary work when they're not. And two, I think an obvious way that God might be calling you, or telling you that you're not called to missionary work is if he's not providing for you enough money to, to be in the missionary field. Um, so just something to warn you that if you're not taking care of your own family, you are worse than an unbeliever. You need to take a higher paying job, men out there especially.
2: I can piggyback off that with uh, 1st Timothy chapter 1 Um, uh, this is what you brought up I think Sebastian uh, where it says as I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. So this could relate to like getting uh, tied up with strange teachings, doctrines, or really wanting to learn about something so esoteric and unproductive and something like that. And, you can get really any sort of college degree these days. Right. Um, however, minor, minuscule, um, unrelated to reality, <laughs> um, and really, it's a waste of the teacher's money. It's waste of the students' time and money. It's waste of parents' resources if they had an like a college inheritance or fund for their child, um, and things like that, just pursue something that is productive. Pursue something that can allow you to be helpful, uh, furthering the administration of God.
0: Yeah, and I 100% agree with you, Theodore. Um, I think we need to be a little careful on like the crotchety old Republican side when we say like, oh, the kids with their their gender study. Degrees These days, because while gender study is a definitively useless degree, and I agree with you uh, that that's rebellious and <laughs> rebelling against God's call for to be productive and to provide for your families and, and for yourself. Um, I would also say there are legitimate degrees that are righteously pursued that don't seem expressly applicable to a job um, that do seem esoteric, but are actually building somebody up in character. Now, I have my own thoughts on like whether or not they're actually worth the money they pay or the time off of, of work that they require. Um, but I would agree with you. As long as you are pursuing something that is productive, truly productive, um, God honor- honoring, it's God honoring. Yes, you should work as if you work under the Lord. And I, I just want to hammer home on the retirement point, and then I have another controversial question for the group. Um, <laughs> one of the verses that Theodore shared in in the spray of them was that a righteous man leaves his <laughs> oh, not attacking uh, A righteous man <laughs> no. leaves an inheritance I- for his children's children. Um, And then it says, uh, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous, meaning that, again, wealth is good. Clearly, the the sinner's wealth is being handed to the righteous. That's a good transfer of wealth. The sinner loses his wealth and the righteous gains it. Um, But you cannot store up inheritance if you don't store up inheritance. So, i.e., wealth is good. You should build up an inheritance. So, on the retirement question, I would say this. If you store up your retirement money so that you can... Um, finally stop working, stop being productive, rust on your laurels, eat and drink of your giant barn stores, and then die with nothing left in your bank account because you've used it all up in the, in the streets of Maui. Um. You are sinning and you're that guy from the parable. So that's a bad way to save for retirement. You are looking purely for self-gratification. You're looking to be unproductive as soon as possible, right? Store up your wealth and then be unproductive for the rest of your life. That's an evil way to look at things. And that's where I would say it's sinful to start for retirement, looking to not work and to rest on your laurels and to use it all up by the time you die. However, if you're storing up retirement savings so that you can leave an inheritance to your children's children, and it's really a benefit to others, now that's righteous, that's great. And so it's it's prudent, it's wise, it's supplying for your family, it's supplying for your widow. If you are a man and you're likely to die first, you're supplying for your widow. In her older age, you're also supplying for your children and even their children's children. So this is clearly a large amount of wealth that can be inherited multiple generations down. Um, so in that case, if you're really storing up the wealth, the eye on others, that is righteous. And so that's the way I personally plan to save for retirement. I think it's prudent that all Christians save for retirement, but, um, I would call it saving up an inheritance. Uh, I would just change the language there because retirement insinuates your own retirement and just like resting on your laurels and, and supporting yourself solely. Um, whereas I would think of it as building an inheritance, a, a state for your family to inherit. And it is good to pass on your wealth. Some, some philosophies out there, they're, they're not based in the Bible and Christians get wrapped in them because their philosophies of the world say that um, you shouldn't give your children anything. Like Bill Gates plans to leave his children nothing and Rockefeller, um, I think, also didn't leave his children very much anything. And some of these big wealthy guys, they're afraid that wealth will ruin their children and therefore they leave them nothing because they want their children to, to fight it out and scrap it out just like they had to. Um, however... There's something to that because wealth does corrupt often and messes up children, so I'm not saying it doesn't. But when you steal all your wealth from your children, you're also doing them a wrong. And so I would say it is uh, unrighteous of Bill Gates to leave his children nothing. And then equally, it's um, unrighteous for any anybody, anybody that does that, that steals the inheritance from their children, either to spend it on themselves or to give it away. So you want to be careful when you give away money that you are not dishonoring your family uh, when you do that. The Lord comes first, of course. So I'm not saying you like withhold tithe to make sure you build up an inheritance or anything like that. I'm just saying you want to be careful when you give away all your money, when you pull a Francis Chan and give away all three of your cents so that you can go and uh, uh, be an impoverished monk. Like his family will have nothing um, from him because he decided to give it all away, which isn't always wise. Not to say the Lord can't call you that way, but it's not usually wise. So here's my other contro- controversial question, man. that we got the retirement one pegged. Um, let's go back to the one that kind of spawned this question, Theodore or Sebastian. Do you think it is sinful for a Christian to buy obscenely expensive things to their wealth? So if they had it, if you have a million dollars of excess money and instead of giving it to the local food shelter or saving it up for your children's children or whatever else, you buy a million dollar Ferrari. Is there sin in that?
2: Do you want to go first, Sebastian?
1: I would say. Or should I? I mean, okay. I'm going to say no, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say.
2: Right. I think this is the one we disagree on. I think both of you say no, and I am really uneasy um, with that. Because <laughs> I, I'd just go buy like a forty thousand dollar car, uh, and then <laughs> be a good steward hopefully, of the rest of it. Um, I just don't get what kind of like investment or productivity a million dollar Ferrari is. Sure, it makes use of... uh, Well, it puts people to work. It uses their very fine-tuned, impressive skills to build these majestic machines. But... If I were to go to my uh, not aesthetic, aesthetic, but closer to aesthetic than you guys' um, Mm -hmm. thoughts, then I would say some things are just a little too fancy or decorative uh, rather than um, just functional or classy. Um, Because frankly you don't need to spend obviously a million dollars on that stuff a person who works on ferraris they could easily work on so many other things that could support so many other people um and the difference between a ferrari and a nice car that's less than a million dollars to me is merely money so
0: yeah and that money would well,
2: be invested
0: I'll forgive both of I think our ignorance on exactly what makes a million dollar Ferrari worth a million dollars because um, we're not like super car guys I totally agree with you I would never spend a million dollars on a car just because I don't value it that much um, I'll say the things that where I agree with you Theodore is that if you irresponsibly spend one million dollars on a Ferrari, i.e., you didn't have the money to spend, like you you had a million dollars and that's it, and so you spent your whole inheritance on a Ferrari, I think you're equivalent to the old people who spend their whole inheritance on retirement out in Maui, and then they leave nothing to their children, and then they're essentially unproductive for the rest of their lives. So if you end up spending too much objectively based off your net worth, based on your income on a particular item of self-interest. I think you are being unrighteous. You're being unproductive and you're stealing the inheritance of your, your children. However, if you're a a hundred billionaire um, and the million dollars is an appropriate chunk of your, your savings and your wealth to spend on the Ferrari, I think you are perfectly fine in purchasing the Ferrari. I do not think that God abhors, um, craftsmanship and we know that he requires craftsmanship for his own tabernacle and that uh, he grants people the abilities to create good fine objects that are up and above what you need right like everything we have in modern life frankly is above what we need like we have fancy beds and i don't think it's a sin and we have um, fancy microphones instead of the crappiest microphones because like we want it, and it's and it's good, and we see the utilitarianness of it. But people also buy art for large sums of money, and I think that's fine. It's not unrighteous. The creators of the Ferrari, like you said, uh, Theodore, are also benefiting. So you're not. Um, it's not like you're not feeding industry when you buy the million dollar Ferrari. So I think that if you do it unrighteously in a um, way that hurts your family, then it is bad. But if it does not hurt your family and it's merely a reward for your hard work of wealth or for your father's father's hard work or however the wealth came to you, then it's perfectly fine to to buy it. But it depends on your mindset. So it could be sin. But my answer is it could be sin to buy that million-dollar Ferrari or whatever your excessive thing is, right? It could be sin to buy your $20 meal at Chipotle or whatever it is um, for equal reasons that it's putting your your family's budget out of whack, um, even though $20 and a million dollars are huge sums different.
2: They should come out with the Ferrari Tabernacle. <laughs> <They're due laughs> this
0: one is going to be bigger, three times as big, faster. No. It's going to move. I really do agree. Fast.
2: Like if, if your spending prevents you from tithing adequately, okay. then definitely a sin. Um, and then also something like Elon Musk or just somebody else who wants to spend a maybe a hundred billion dollars to go to Mars, something like that. I'd probably say uh, sinful, or at least I don't know any Christian God fearing man who would seek to do something so strange and strange. Um, uh, But yeah, a hundred billion dollars to go to Mars. Now, if it's in, I think it'd be better spent in like investing in technology that might go into making some sort of spaceship dealy Bob that could help other things or could further technology on earth, but just hundred billion dollars for the sake of going to Mars, even if you're able to pay your tithe or something like that, I just think it's incredibly stupid and borderline sinful. If not, Sinful and neglectful.
0: Yeah, I mean, to your point, I think there is something to say about um, taking God's gifts. Because if we agree that wealth is a gift from God, then you're taking a talent of God's—a literal talent, talent is of gold way. You mm-hmm. get take a talent from God. Um, we didn't even talk about the parable of talents, but everybody knows that one, where God gives different servants different amounts of wealth um, when he leaves, and then he comes back, and those who invested the wealth and did good things with the wealth are rewarded, and those who didn't do anything with the wealth are punished. Um, when he gives you wealth, so he gives Elon Musk a bunch of wealth even though he's not a believer, um, he can use the money how he likes. However, I think that everything we should do should be to glorify God. So we as Christians have the benefit of the Holy Spirit and of that acceptance that we should be doing things that glorify God whereas unbelievers don't. And so they do a lot of evil things because they're not doing them for the glory of God. So even when they do something good like open up a children's hospital or whatever else, it's still evil because they didn't do it for the glory of God, they did it for something else. So when we pursue things, I think all things we do in life should be to glorify God and and to for, for um, real glorious means and causes instead of vainglorious causes. And the difference to me between a vainglorious clause, something that's not good for, for spending your money on and something that is glorious is whether or not it glorifies God in the end. And so if the intent of going to Mars is some productive reason to increase her human flourishing and to glorify God and whatever else, I would say it's it's good to spend $100 billion on going to Mars. But when you, I think me and you, theater, are on the same page in that I don't believe going to Mars is a productive pursuit. Um, I think it's really vainglory that Elon Musk can say that I or humanity or whatever, you know, he could be a little less selfish than just saying I made it to Mars. Humanity made it to Mars. Woohoo! We did it. We, we did something really hard, right? But it doesn't ultimately produce anything that's long lasting. And in the same way, you could say the million dollar Ferrari is not a long lasting pursuit. It's a vainglorious object. Um, But on some things like that, like the Ferrari, like it does serve a use today and it, uh, could hold value and we buy a bunch of food that's just for ourselves. And I don't think, I mean, we know we're not banned from buying good food and drink like wine, like wine and <laughs> <laughs> choice meats and whatever else. So there are some things that don't True. actually benefit others that you're allowed to buy. Um, but I would agree with you. If you can definitively say something is vain glorious, I it's just for the sake of your own glory or the glory of humanity or something like that. And not for anyone's betterment, um, then it's not a good use of wealth. I agree.
1: I do want to say, that I keep thinking now of the Garden of Eden, when God commands Adam to steward the earth and subdue it, I would say humans are called to what God has given us in earth, which would be raw materials or something more elaborate like machines. I think it is good to make it beautiful. So some may disagree with this. You may have your favorite sports car and whatnot, but a Ferrari for some, for many, it is considered a beautiful thing. It is not just some square, sad-looking car like what you see in the Soviet Union. It was just like some blocks, but um, or
0: theaters Honda Element. Uh-huh.
1: I'm not seeing that. So <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. is much better than the than the Soviet uh, Ladas. So you should take a look at that instead. So rather instead, it is a different. It is a different. Um, there's a different intent going for that car. It serves the basic purpose. Likewise, you could even argue we don't need cars. There are millions, millions of people in the world that have never touched, seen, owned a car, and they are able to live just fine. Therefore, should a Christians buy a car? I don't think that's the... I don't think you can even go in that direction. It, it is good. It is pr- It helps with our productivity. Likewise, if you want to settle uh, Mars for whatever reason, uh, you could do it for sinful reasons again it comes back to where your heart is mm-hmm. and um you could do it i am so great i am the first human that reached mars or you could do it for i mean you whatever reason you could come up with I can't come up with anything at the moment you're trying to honor god in the process i suppose you're subduing nature i suppose so you can sub, um, subdue other planets i think it might apply i mean i don't know but whatever regardless you, if you want to subdue mars you can do so but you could be like the king of Assyria in which I'm gonna, God commanded the king uh, behind the scenes, conquer, destroy northern Israel. That was good that God commanded that. But then in the mind of the king of Assyria, I'm going to do it because I'm the greatest human that has ever lived and no one can defeat me. You see the, the difference. So same action, different intentions. Mm-hmm. Comes back to where your heart is when, it comes to when you buy things, how you steward your money, how you invest, how you save money. Are you doing it for being glory or are you doing it to honor others, honor God? Where's your heart?
0: Right. So just because we're of our time sake, I'm going to start wrapping us up. But as an end here, we've seen that money is not evil, but it can be evil depending on how you use it. Um, the call to Christians everywhere, I think is to store up that inheritance for your children's children. That's not to say that some of us won't be, called by God to give away our money or be forced by God to give our money by our circumstances, Um, but it is not a righteous position to sit idly by while you don't create wealth. It is actually evil. It's a rebellion against God. It's hate for neighbor, and it's a hate for God's command to make wealth. So we should, as Christians, especially as men, be pursuing righteous, godly wealth as a reward for good conduct um, we don't want it for the wealth's sake. We want it for the righteousness's sake, for the, the glory that God gives' sake. It's that that we desire, to please God and to help others. But the wealth is a sign that we are doing things well, and it's the tool we use to continue doing good. So as Christians, we should... Um, be looking to steward our wealth well and invest it well. And if you are not, if you're either sitting on your cash, that's not wise, you should invest it somewhere. Cash is good um, for the power gives you to make fly uh, decisions on the fly. Um, Also fly decisions, but uh, you, you want to be wise their money. I would say that if you're being unwise their money, and you're sitting on gigantic wads of cash that you should think about investing them um, in something that is productive and, uh, either your own pursuits, your own business, your own your own things to, to produce things, or um, in somebody else's pursuits that you benefit from their pursuits. Um, again, that's not to say you should never have any cash because you should have some cash to make on-the-fly investments or, or to cover your costs. Um, that's really an episode for a different day. Maybe we'll do like investments one day, but it seems a little like <laughs> not in the purview of our podcast. But I hope you benefit something from our podcast. Any closing words, Theodore Sebastian, on wealth in general? We said it all. All right. Well, that is why we have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been Michael, the man behind the machine. And to my right has been... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And to the virtual front has been... Theodore, under the PC. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you got to go to foundcause.podbean.com and download them all for your listening pleasure. Or you can go to YouTube if you want to see our fantastic faces. Or you can go to Facebook, you can also see our faces there. We're also on iTunes and Spotify and wherever else you might find your podcast. So until next time, we do a response video to probably somebody who won't immediately copyright strike us. Uh, thanks, Sadguru. Guru. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>
1: Bye.